boom, 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 number one. It's ready to go. Here we are. Good evening. Tuesday night, Bible study, where you have a good cup of, was it, was it a good cup of coffee and good theology. In this case, it might be a good cup of hot tea is what I'm having tonight. Aquafina that we have out there, and we have different Gatorades and uh, Sunny D and... What else do we have over there? Coke. Okay, we got a Coke, Coca-Cola going there. Huh? And a salad. There we are. Good salad along with good theology. That's what we like. That makes our evening, doesn't it? Well, anyway, it's great to be here. We are uh, enjoying God's Word as we come together. And always oh, great to, to be with you guys. You know, we left off last week with David uh, being... Um, Kind of a part of the uh, the household of uh, the Philistines in a way, um, because he got out of the land of Israel because uh, Saul kept chasing him, so he went over there, and that stopped that. And uh, in the meantime, uh, he's kind of gotten good in with the king, Achish, and uh, it's like uh, they have their own city, <laughs> a nice place to be, and they go out and uh, kill other enemies while they're at it, and then benefit the Israelites. At the same time, King Achish of the Philistines is thinking David is whopping up on his own Israelite family. And uh, we'll see that uh, that presents a little bit of a problem when you start uh, getting in tight with the enemy. Uh, but God always delivers, doesn't He? Well, we have a title tonight called Desperate for the Word of God, but it's too late. That is a sad statement to hear, isn't it? It's too late. Sooner or later, it's too late for people who have not trusted God and not obeyed Him and not gone His way. It finally is too late. When is it too late? We never know. But I can tell you that uh, I heard uh, John MacArthur speak on uh, this subject about it being too late for this nation. It was absolutely shocking. It was done very well. It was done at uh, RC, what is RC Sproul's um, convention that they have, the Ligonier Conference that was done last week, and he spoke there, and it was uh, rather. Uh, I, th I think it, it hit really hard in the sense that he used Romans chapter one where it talks about the wrath of God as being revealed and then people you know, do not listen to Him, they do not give thanks, and then the steady downhill fall all the way uh, away from God into idolatry and then into the homosexuality, women giving themselves over to each other and men, and then out of that results even the, the diseases and all the things that go and then people do wicked, evil things and then commend people whenever they do it and uh, they invite them to follow that. And uh, so, you know, then he, I think he went into Isaiah 6 and that was kind of the, like the time period it was whenever uh, the Israelites were going through a time where God was going to bring His judgment upon uh, Israel in a full way and bringing on the enemies there. And it was actually too late for the nation. He'd already had his wrath done and that he had let it go and let the people do as they wanted to do. And that's the worst thing that can happen when God withdraws His grace and His mercy and His love and He lets the people do what they want to do and they just do ghastly, ungodly things. And that's the way we would all do if we didn't have God. We would love to do our own way. And whenever He allows that to happen, uh, it's too late. So for this nation, He was saying, it's too late. But not for individuals who trust in God's Word and believe Him. It's never too late for that. And uh, so, regardless of what one views on that, I, you know, I'm an optimist, but I can say for this nation with what it's done, I would say it's probably too late. I would probably agree with that. But not for us as Christians. We have uh, what I think is as good a time as any to be a witness for our Lord and to bring forth the Gospel. Preach the Word, teach the Word, give it out. 
we've got opportunities. There are people that are needing Christ. And so we see the opposite of this where we have Saul who uh, really has never really needed Christ or the Messiah only whenever there were times whenever he was in need for himself. And that's usually when he would call upon the Lord. Uh, and here it is, that's what we see today. And if you know where we're at, where we talk about Saul and the spirit, spirit medium. We know that he's trying to get a hold of God. He's trying to connect with Him. The only thing is the internet provider went out. <laughs> so in our text, we see Saul very frightened. He's frightened to death. Saul gets a good case of what we could call today foxhole religion. You guys ever heard of that? That's what he gets. He inquires of the Lord. He really is out to seek for the Lord. He gets himself uh, into such a situation that he is. Now it's time to call on the Lord. And he is in such a mess here. Uh, but it's too late. The uh, efforts that he has in conducting uh, inquiries of the Lord fail. And he tries desperately to get online, but again, the provider has disconnected. And Saul is in trouble. He cannot obtain divine help to get victory. What will he do? Um, this turns out to be one of the darkest days ever for Saul. Uh, really, they are the darkest days this day and the next day of his life. Just how dark they are, that's what we'll find out. This is probably one of the most troubling chapters that we have in First Samuel. It is very troubling and you'll have some questions about it, I'm sure. But here again, we see God doing unusual things as He continues to do His perfect plan. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great God, You are holy. You are awesome. And we take You seriously. We take Your Word seriously. We desire to know who You are, how You work, and we want to follow those ways. We want to be obedient. We know we can't do it without Your help. Your Spirit, Christ in us, is the only way that we can do the very will of the Lord. Saul is an example of one who disobeyed. Disobeyed constantly. Did not do your will. And we see the horrible results. And may there be lessons in this tonight as we make another study of different characteristics of people in different situations. And we know that we only have one to rely upon and we always want to be coming into your access that you've given us to stay close. Thank you, Lord, for your word because that's what keeps us close. Thank you for these people who have come out tonight and as we are hungry for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're desperate for God's word amen. <laughs> and it's not too late for us. It's always on time, isn't it? Okay, well, we have quite a, a text before us. First seven verses going to be dealing with God's silence to Saul. That is the worst thing that I think that can happen to somebody whenever God gets silent on somebody. We never want that, do we? As believers, we know we have access to God. He says, come here anytime. Come to the Lord. Come to Him in prayer. So we, um, we read uh, first seven verses here. And Avel, do you want to, you want to read that section, 28, first seven verses? <clears throat> At that time, the Philistines gathered their military units into one army to fight against Israel. So Achias said to David, You know, of course, that you are... You and your men uh, must march out in the army with us. David replied to Achish, Good, you will find out what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. By this time Samuel had died. 
All Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his city. And Saul had removed the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines gathered and camped at Shuan. So Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gibeah. When Saul saw the Philistines camp, he was afraid, and his heart pounded. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul then said to his servant, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I can consult her. His servants replied, There is a woman at Ebor who is a medium. All right. Philistines are gathering against Israel, against Saul. Philistines have continually harassed Israel for years and years. The reason the people wanted a king was that the king would wipe out the enemies, the Philistines. Um, the only thing is, Saul did not really do that. Um, Israelites throughout the reign of Saul uh, were continually harassed by the Philistines. But this time, it appears the Philistine kings have determined to break the back of the Israelites for good. Uh, militarily, they want to get them and get this done. Get it over with. And so they're combining their forces together. Armed forces there at, um, I believe it is Aphek. In chapter 29, verse 1, it mentions Aphek. He's gathering the army. So 29 is going to be where 28 starts there. Um, and it, then it tells us where, where they're at. From there, they what they're going to do, this is their strategy, they were going to march northward and then go up through the plain of Estralon and then to Shuram. And in chapter 28, 3-5, you get that sequence there. Strategy seems to be to divide and conquer the Israelites. Um, if they're in one area, what they do, that they're in the middle, and they then they work on the north and the south. That's their whole strategy. And if you can break them apart, then take them a little bit at a time while you have your full forces together. That is what they're doing. Pretty smart, and they keep it in the lowland where they can use their chariots. Remember, whenever they get in an area where it can be the rocky, hilly hills, chariots aren't too much of value. But in the, you get them to where they, where they want it, and you're in real trouble. And so that's the idea. That is the, uh, the plan here by um, the Philistines. And, of course, Saul's scouts... They're checking this out, and as they are uh, looking at what's going on, they see all this uh, amounted forces that they have. They see the size of the army, it's, it's tremendous, and the location. They tell it to Saul. It's like he's got to be saying, we're history. This is over. <laughs> I mean, he becomes frightened. He becomes frightened real easy anyway. We've seen that all the way through for Samuel, haven't we? I can, I'm sure that he's mumbling, you know, what are we going to do now? Well, we need help. Where do you go to? Well, he should have been going to the Lord all along, shouldn't he? Go to me. Yeah. Well, if the Lord doesn't answer. So it's quite fascinating what, what happens there. And so uh, Saul then must have heard about David maybe about this time. Um, it's, it's interesting as we look in um, verse 2, David said to Achish. Oh, we're, we're in verse 1, right? Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. Uh, David has pretty well committed himself whether he really was meant it or not. He, he doesn't, he's not going to kill his own people, is he? No. But he is in a position that's like, oh boy, what do I do now? I think, you know, he's going to be having to do some thinking, isn't he? 
He's in a position he should not be in. He did leave his country and now whenever uh, the king there tells him, no assuredly, this is for certain. You are going to go out with us, all the men in your camp, and uh, this is the way it's going to be. As a matter of fact, I expect this. Right? He's not giving David an option. Uh, David got the city, remember? Okay, it's pay up time. Uh, and I'm sure, yeah, David is not going to say, oh, no, I can't go out. No, he's got to play the game like he's been playing it all along. <laughs> so David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Achish said to David, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life, permanently. You're my bodyguard. It's kind of interesting. He was really the kind of like the bodyguard of Saul at one time. Now he's Achish is saying, "You're mine." Yeah, and uh, so David's going. Oh, hmm. What we're we gonna do? I mean, this is gonna take place like next day. <laughs> I mean, this is happening quick. Now. Do you think Saul might have heard somewhere along the line that David was among the Philistines? Uh, it's interesting. In verse 3, it does remind us again now that Samuel was dead. I think that's key. He's the great man of God. He's one of the great men of all the Bible. Samuel. Samuel is a great prophet. and He's one that spoke God's Word. Whatever God said, he said it. And he didn't twist it. He said it exactly the way it was. And so that's that's where we're at. So we had been reminded that um, Samuel had already he had died. Tells us here, and uh, he's buried in Ramah. Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Just happens to say that. Now. <laughs> David is among the Philistines and maybe in this area whenever the Israelites have their spies this is just speculating maybe they saw whenever David and his men went back when they were told to go back to their city Ziklag right when you when you go you know to go back there and it's like okay get get settled there and then we're going to going to go fight the Israelites uh, it may be that Saul's scouts could have seen David and all of his men at this time. They might have already seen him, but Saul would would like to have been chasing him. Yeah. Is Gath a Philistine area? Yes, definitely. So, in chapter 27, it says that Saul heard that David had fled to Gath. So, if David knew that or Saul knew that David was already in the territory of the Philistines. Um, you know, and David's a good warrior, so you know, I'm pretty sure since Saul knows that David is to be king, you know, I think it, it's safe to say that like with your speculation that there's a good chance that his paranoia might just you know, make him feel like David might be there. Well, and and what does he think of David? What has he told David twice whenever he was caught? What did he tell him? You're going to be the king. You're going to be the one ruling. And now it has to be. It's getting ready to come true very quickly. Now we're already in chapter 28, folks, <laughs> and 29 is coming. And so here we go. Um, I think, yeah, I think he. Saul pretty well knows that David is in cahoots with them. What chance does he have? How did Saul know that David was in Gath? How did Saul know David was in Gath? Word gets around, doesn't it? Somebody had to say something. Somebody delivered a message to somebody. And he definitely wasn't going to chase him into the Philistine area, was he? And imagine all the Philistines talking, oh, David's here. David, oh, we have David. He's over in this area. So I don't see it being like a big secret. Especially Saul. Yep. The king, he's already buddy buddies with the king. So he's, the army's there. The army knows David's there. They've already credited David for taking out an Israelite 
group which did and actually took out the Philistine group, but they credited it to him because he likes them. So, yep. you know, people, his presence isn't hidden. So I think it's possible that Saul knows he was there. And that has to really, don't you think that has to really put fear in him, knowing that he's God's man? And then he's going against the Philistines here, and it's like, oh, what chance do I have? He does go and gather all of Israel. I don't know how much of, all of that army was, but whatever it is, they come there quick and they camped in Gilboa. Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, and he goes, we're outnumbered. They got the chariots. They've got all the armor. They've got everything. And uh, they're outnumbering us here. He's afraid. And he's trembling greatly. That's not too odd for Saul to tremble greatly. Well, I feel like this trembling is a different kind of trembling. Like, it's worse than ever, isn't it? Yeah, because he knows his time is coming up. He knows he's going to die. You know, he knows he's going to be So I feel like he knows that he's going to die. Like there's a certain, I know I'm going to die, and you know that you're going to die. You know, that's actually He's going to pull out all the stops, but it looks like this this could be the end. And, and it really is, but... Yeah, he, he is so afraid of what is going on. And this seemed like it all happened at once. Well, um, whenever sin seems to reign in somebody for a long time, it's not because of one little sin or a couple of little sins, but it's because of a lifestyle of sin has been there for a long, long, long time. It just doesn't happen overnight when somebody falls. And so, here we go. We look at Saul. He's very fearful, even all throughout. You know, he was, uh, it was a different kind of fear uh, earlier, you know, from the very beginning. You remember whenever he was searching out for his father's donkeys and he was about to give up. And, uh, you know, he was, he wouldn't tell his uncle Abner uh, what Samuel said. The, the prophet, his uncle knew about Samuel and Saul didn't. And so he had spoken to him and he didn't tell him. And then whenever they're going to pronounce Saul as king, where is he at? Hiding in, in the luggage. You know, they're casting, they're doing the lots in a spiritual way to find out who it's going to be for sure. And of course, God has already made it clear of who it's going to be, and of course, but there he is. He's he's hiding out from that. He never initiated an attack, as far as we know, against the Philistines. And that's so odd because that's what he was hired to do. And you remember he came out firing out of the gates at first whenever he beat what was it, the uh, the um, the Amalekites, right? Or the, or the Ammonites? And you remember when he took on that opposition and just blew him away? And it's like, wow, okay, this is great. This is what's going to come. This is why we have who we have. And he never did do that. What did he do most of the time? Chase down David. One man who calls himself a flea. <laughs> and yet... The Philistines are out there, the enemy. So, you know, he has been terrorized now to, in a sense that where he never has been before. But it's always been a tendency. You know, we are not to fear as Christians, but to have a sound mind. Be thinking rightly and knowing who you know God is and He is our protector, He's our shield. We never have reason to fear now that there's things that we are to be concerned about, we're not to worry, but we are to do the things we're supposed to do or what we can do and you know pray about it. Uh, but we're never to worry, we're never to fear. Fear, we know, comes from the enemy. And uh, Saul definitely is he's, he's a fearful man. He's the king. 
He should know, of all people, he had bodyguards, he had what? The, the army surround him. Remember whenever he was camping out trying to get David and he was in the middle of it all with his right hand man and he had his trusty old spear right there. So, he's not accustomed to um, bravery it seems like and he's not accustomed to divine guidance. He didn't know who Samuel was when he just lived a few miles from there. Samuel is the great prophet. Um, you never really see see him seeking out God. Uh, you know, he inquires of a seer. It says here, or a, a prophet. And you know, it, it seems like he really hasn't had a super relationship with the Lord, does it? Um, he didn't seek divine guidance when he was to wage war with the Philistines when they were attacking Israel, then he had to go back and then fight. We just saw that a few, couple of weeks ago or so. Jonathan was the one who would initiate battles and make the Israelites and Saul to get into battle. And so, um, we remember some things about Saul that weren't good. The burnt offering... Samuel told him to wait. Don't do the wait. We'll do the burnt offering when I get there. Well, Samuel kind of held out till the last minute, but he showed up, and because he said, "Don't do any burnt offering." And Samuel looked around, and you know he's thinking of the enemy and what could happen. He said, "We got to get going." So he did the burnt offering, uh, and that's that's Saul. And so he disobeyed God's Word. That was a serious element because he was told directly, and he knew very well that he was not to do that. Just wait on Samuel. Samuel is the, is the one who can do this. A king is not to be doing a priest's duties, which is what he was in essence doing. He disobeyed the command, and you remember also whenever... He did go into war and he wipes out everybody but the king, one man, and the animals he doesn't touch. What did God say? Wipe them all out. Every last man, woman, and child, including the king and all the animals. Saul didn't do that. What's this showing about his heart? It's disobedient, isn't it? Very disobedient. And so he disobeys the command of the Lord. Again, we're going to see him tonight disobey the command of the Lord, which he knew very well. Uh, I feel like Saul kind of encompasses human humanity. And it's kind of just in its rawest form. (laughs) You know, like Saul has done everything wrong. He's made all the wrong decisions, he's made all the wrong calls, he's been He's not listening. He's made situations worse. He's, you know, a very fearful man. And just, you know, it's right. And which is why I'm saying that that makes me feel like he's more human than David. Is that the heart of a natural man? Yes. He's just doing what is the nature of man until that soul is regenerated. Now, some people say, well, I wouldn't have gone to the extent of all he did, murder and everything, but of course, God even defines murder. If we have an evil thought in our heart about somebody, you've committed murder. God defines the Bible, and that's why no man is good. We fall so far short, and of course, we, we like to make set the rules for what they are. And compare them to other people, and that makes us much better. When uh, we can't ever compare it to other people, compare it to God. And He says, "You must be perfect." <laughs> For God is perfect. Uh, is anybody perfect? No. So that means all have come short of the glory of God, as Romans three twenty three says. As the law says, when you see the law for what it really says, it shows us, and you're right. 
He is a picture of mankind and in his natural realm. So would you say he fell short even though he was the tallest man in Israel? Oh, I mean, he didn't even want to be king in the first place. That was a role that was forced onto him. He tried to hide. That's why he didn't say anything about it. He just didn't want that position. He knew, uh, he knew when he stood before the prophet and the prophet prophesied. There's, he, he had to know at least about the prophet and you know, you don't get to walk around and be a prophet and people acknowledge you and, like, respect you if you're a false prophet. If you look at, you know, the Old Testament, not very many of the, anybody was ever jumping at the chance to do what God told them. Yeah, especially. <laughs> None of them. Moses, look at how yeah. he fought that. And, I mean, I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah? Jeremiah said, oh, no, I got this girl over here, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have a life. And God said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and Isaiah, that's a good yeah. one there. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God asked him, or it says, uh, who will go for me? Lord, here am I. Uh, but I mean, even at that point with Isaiah, his mouth was cleaned by the coals on the altar. Don't do that at your next barbecue, though. Saul didn't want to do what God told him, but then nobody ever did. Yeah. They, none of them did. They all, they all stepped back. That's mankind. Yeah. Isn't it? That's mankind. And when we really get that view, <laughs> and isn't that when we come and say, yeah, I have to trust in Him because I've proven over and over that I cannot follow him on my own. You know, even as much as we might like to pat ourselves on the back, it's all glory to him. And I'm glad it is. You know, I'm so glad we just keep proving no, like, like we we don't saying, make it. You know, even though Saul didn't want any part of it, he still fulfilled the will of God. Yeah. <laughs> and any human rationing rationality about that doesn't make a bit of sense. But to God it does. And the more and more we know God, we say, you know what? I believe that. I don't know exactly how it all works. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in evangelism. But He's already picked out the ones He's going to bring in before the foundation of the world, the Scripture says. But yet He says, come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. How do you put that together? He elects His people, but He uses people to bring people to him, he uses people to put out his word, even as I guess as as bad as we even do it, you know. And he still uses us, and he uses us, and then he uses people like Saul. He used Judas. He uses Satan of all things. Is that my surprise? No, God's in total control. How that works out. Our minds are spinning when we try to figure out the sovereignty of God. All I know is I believe it. And the more and more I see in the Scripture, the more I want to believe it even more. Because <laughs> it's good for us. It's great. It takes everything off of our shoulders. And not that we are not to be working and doing things in the Lord, but now He is the one that is in charge. And I, I like that. He knew full well. Yeah, he yeah. Well, he didn't even want anybody to be a king because he knew nobody really is going to fill the bill. Only God does. Okay, you want a king? And God says, okay. 
Here you go. So was Saul the first king? He was the first king. Okay. What's the catch? <laughs> he was yeah. the first king of Israel. Yeah, there first king of Israel. Kings. Yeah. In other nations, but he was the first king. Because Israel wanted to have a king like everybody else. So God didn't really want him to have a king. Because you're asking for it, you're going to get it. You're going to get what comes with it. That's it. That is it. Has he ever done that to us? Yeah. We keep begging and begging, and so he winds up giving us a little bit, and we thought, we go, oh, I wasn't ready for this. It'll cost you. He'll tax you. He'll take your sons and your daughters. The sad part was that they were rejecting God. Right. So he used a little punishment by giving them the first king. Would you think if this is God's people, he's going to give them a godly man to start off with? But Saul could have been a godly man. But then could he? <laughs> well, you know, if you read on a little, I'm, I've been not saying anything because Dennis gets on to you about that, but if you read on <laughs> I have some questions here because when he talks to Samuel here mm-hmm. and Samuel gives his dire uh, prediction, he says, Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. We'll get to that. Thank you. Okay, well, we better get moving. Then. We better get moving. We've got 20 minutes. All right. Okay, but this, you know, we always take time in the first few verses. You ever notice that? But if you get the setting, then everything else kind of flows. And so, uh, I'm using that as an excuse. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd like to think so. <laughs> okay, um, Saul is truly inquiring of the Lord. I put inquiring of the Lord and truly in quotes there because what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. Um, he, he uses dreams. Uh, the Urim and, and uh, uh, the prophets. Is that an Huh? Is that an The Urim and Thummim. It was a way of seeking the Lord out. And of course, you know they they were, you know, a lot of those things back the way that the Lord communicated in the Old Testament is different in these days. Hebrews one says he did it long ago in many different divers ways and various manners and angels uh, through dreams, visions, uh, the Urim and the Thummim, the you know the priest uh, and and the, the prophets, and he spoke himself through those ways. And so Saul is trying everything that he's got. Now the ephod happens to be in the possession of David. Remember he had, well, the priest. And the priest is following David now. You remember that, right? So he's the one that has that ephod. But here there is this this Urim. And so it's all a part of uh, you know trying to seek out God's will. So he was desperate. He wants a word from the Lord. Here's where we get our title, right? I mean, he's real desperate, you know, and if God, God could have given him the word right there. But, uh, no, uh, it shows you what, where he's really at. And it's interesting, we do have to go to 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. I can't skip this because it tells what the problem, and this is just a little bit later, later written, but it's, uh, 1 Chronicles 10, 13, 14. Nails it. So Saul died for his trespass which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord which he did not keep and also because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it and did not inquire of the Lord. That means from the heart. We, we say, well, well, he must have. You know, you know, he couldn't get it. But the thing is, he really, his heart was not right at all. Uh, therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom of David to, to David, the son of Jesse. So, what does it say there? He disobeyed God. Uh, he didn't keep the commandment. He didn't do the thing with, you know, as far as the burnt offering. And as far as um, um, killing all the men, women, children, and the animals, 
And now this one is thrown in right there because he sought the counsel of the medium of Endor. And he has not been inquiring of the Lord all at all anyway. He does not have the right heart when he does this. All he wants is to get himself covered here. And somehow some kind of a miracle happened that he gets out of this. That's why he's doing it. It's not that he's repenting or anything or seeking God's will. Um, so this it's a desperate attempt to bail him out of the trouble which he gotten himself into anyway. Well, and what choice did he have? I mean, he was going to fight the Philistines no matter what because the Philistines were coming. Yeah. Yep, they're and coming. And that's it. So, you know... He would just like to have a really good outcome because it's not looking good. But, uh, but what difference did it make? It's almost like getting a present, opening it up, and finding out it's bad news. <laughs> you know, he I'm just, just saying, he I don't know why he inquired of anybody because he was going to fight the Philistines no oh, matter what. God had that in mind. That's the way yeah. it's going to be. And they're going to lose. Yeah. Well, so he didn't know that until he went and talked to that witch. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he kind of did, unless something miraculous happens, because he's just he's terrified right now, and he's not, and God's not talking to him. He hasn't been talking to him for a long time. Why is it? Because he doesn't obey God. What what good to obey is better than sacrifice, and that's where that came from. Okay, guys, ready? Here we go. Here's a voice from the dead. Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. He went, two men with him, they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you the laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? She doesn't know he's Saul yet. Just somebody setting this up. Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Well, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now she knows for sure. The king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Samuel, okay, is, is really probably the only prophet that he, Saul had dealt with. And he got directives from him. Samuel is now dead. What is going on here? Um, it's interesting that he had actually told everybody, all the mediums and spiritists would be to cast out of the land, right? If we were to back up in the other section, said to the servants, you know, okay, um, Oh wait, it was back down in 3, wasn't it? He had removed from the land those who were mediums and spirits. It just says that. And it's a few verses later that we find out that after he's tried every avenue, trying to get to God, he's going to go through the occultic way. That's a great place to go there, Saul. That'll uh, give you a true answer, won't it? And so he really gets what he wants. Um, and he told him to get out of the land. Well, it's obvious why he told him to get out of there. God had strictly forbidden using mediums. It's, it's in the law. It's in Scripture. And now he's persuading them to go, and, and somebody knows where she's at. If they're supposed to be out of the land, I will say where she's at is like kind of in Philistine territory. And she, if some Israelite comes there, she doesn't want to be caught because she knows what will happen to her possibly. I mean, she deserves death. Uh, Endor is kind of like Philistine territory. So Saul instructs his servants to find a woman who's a medium after he's already told them to get them out of the land. Interesting, isn't it? You know what? You said that everything that he's done is wrong, and that's exactly right until that time. He, Saul finally did something right. Kicked him out of the land. And then what does he do? 
Bingo! Okay, well, look in... Uh, Got to go to this. Go to the law. Leviticus 19.31. What does God say about this? Do you, you know, we have mediums today. Boy, they are all over TV, I'll tell you what. They are everywhere. Uh, witches. Uh, you know, the, the, the good witches they call them. Yeah, and, the preachers. Uh, the preachers. I think a lot of these preachers. people don't even know what they're really doing. They're just... I think it's a game. But there are yeah. some out there that are really, they know what they're doing. It's, it's not a game. And this, this witch at Endor, uh, it wasn't a game to her. And whenever Samuel appeared, she, he appeared in a real form. She's seen maybe through a demonic ways, you know, demonic ways in that would be apparitions. There's a difference between an apparition and seeing a form. And this is unique. This is really odd. But God is doing something. So, and, and, and we'll get there, I, I hope. 1931, do not, har, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, he could have stopped right there. Never ever said another word about it, and that's all that we need, right? That's enough. Is that very clear? God's Word is very, very, very clear. Let's move on to chapter 20, verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. That's exactly what God did to Saul. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore be holy, for I am the Lord your God, you're holy. Ah, we've heard that before, had not it? You shall keep my statutes and practice them, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Wow, God is a God that wants people to be holy, to be obedient. Turn to verse 27, same chapter. Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Very clear in the Judaic law there. And then in Deuteronomy 18 you get more. I think we've got enough of it right there. They were to be put to death. And, and that's just the way it was. God did not want uh, His people doing like what the pagans had done. Uh, okay, so we see it, the Old Testament forbidding it completely. And now Saul is regretting that he followed the Old Testament law. Because now he says, there's got to be somebody out there. Go find it. Somebody said, yeah, there is. <laughs> well, how, how do you know about that? Anyway, there's a problem of getting to Endor. The problem is this. The Philistines are camped in Shunem. Okay? And Saul and the Israelite army are camped in Gilboa. You say, well, what's the problem? Well, Endor is about eight miles north of Gilboa. But to get there, Saul has to go around the Philistines. Because that's where Endor is at. He's going to have to go there. He is scared of the Philistines. That's why he's all blanketed up. So that nobody can He's disguised. And it'd be a good thing to and that's the real reason, but another one would be if you're a king and the enemy captures you, half the battle's already done. Yeah. So he is definitely disguised now. And uh that's that's what's going to happen. He's going to keep himself not identified. And he didn't want the witch at Endor to identify him either. Because she knows about the king's edict, about that. And she doesn't even want any Israelite or somebody that she even knows to know that she's doing what she's doing. Unless she knows that she is can get away with this. So, um, anyway she is going to be asked now to conjure up Samuel. <laughs> she recognizes Samuel. Um, of course, at the, at the time whenever this vision comes out or this form of Samuel, uh, and then him too. So she's thinking she's history too because of this. Okay, well we go into grave words in verse 15. Uh, back to... First Samuel, right? Play on words there. Yep. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then Samuel said to Saul, "Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up?" 
What am I doing here? Why are you doing this? Saul answered, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me. I'm sure Samuel's going, oh really? Either through prophets or by dreams, therefore I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Remember, he got a lot of counsel from Samuel before. One he could count on. But he didn't didn't really obey him, did he? Samuel said, Why then do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you? Why are you asking me? Because what does Samuel speak? The Word of the Lord. Why are you asking me since God is not? That's impossible for me to tell you that. And... You know, he's become your adversary. Oh my, when a prophet of God tells a man that God is your adversary. I mean, what what chance do you have? Mm. The Lord, it's too late. In, In the Lord's timing, there is a time for everybody where it's too late. The Lord has done accordingly as He spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute His fierce wrath on Amalek, that's the main problem right there, He should have killed him. So the Lord has done this thing to you this day. He wanted good news. Or at least something. And all He gets is exactly what's going to happen to Him tomorrow. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with Me Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Here we're coming to it, aren't we? Uh, Samuel disapproves of what he's asking. He's not going to give him the answer that he wants. Samuel never told Saul what he wanted to hear anyway. Why would he start now? This is actually Samuel. And I know people are wondering, how can this be? God has made it forbidden for this to ever happen. for And here, he is allowing a witch to call up Samuel. Well, God can do what He wants. And this is for a particular unique occasion. He doesn't do this all the time. He doesn't do it any time. But at this time, it was the appropriate. Samuel has it coming. You know, Saul. Saul has it coming. I kind of find it funny that you know, the Lord says, you know, knock and you shall receive and keep on knocking and keep on asking. Well, Saul was doing that. He was knocking, asking, knocking, and asking. And Didn't get an answer. Like, no. And then so he's like, I know what else I can do. And that's kind of, you know, how I think we think if we are trying and trying and trying. And we just keep trying to think of another way to get what it is we want. That we want. Yeah. And then, you know, the Lord in this delivered his word. To Saul. In this, he still delivers to him his final word and saying, This is my final word to you. Here you go. <laughs> this is it. This is it for you. It's over. It's too late. Yeah. Saul's still trying to manipulate the Lord. The Lord goes, Okay, you want to see what that's going to get you? You're going to hear from Samuel. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to you? So Samuel rebukes Saul for his sins and, you know, uh, Saul is expecting maybe Samuel to say something or kind of feel for him, you know, a little bit. Um, what what did he expect him to say? Samuel already did that, though. Samuel already felt for him. He's done, he's done work. He did his time on this earth. He's, he's moving on. It's, it's a rude awakening uh, for Saul. Um, so... And you'd say, well, I thought the rapture is supposed to happen later. Well, in this occasion, and by the way, at the Mount of Transfiguration, before Jesus dies, 
who appears with him, probably mm-hmm. Moses and Elijah. And, and, you know, it's like there they are in their bodies. You know, there's just not some kind of apparition. So God can do that. What happens later? Do, do, does he stay in the body or, or does he go back to the way that he was? I would tend to think he'd probably just go back to the way... I don't really know, though. You know, we go to be with the Lord now. The Old Testament saints, where did they go to? Sheol. Or, or the place of the dead. And what's interesting here, and I think what, what we might be asking is whenever it says, you and your sons will be with me. Now we know Samuel's a man of God. He would be like in, in the place where you think of the abode of God's people. His body is put there, right? The place of the dead. I think there's a generality there that we have, first of all. It's just a place where, okay, tomorrow you're going to be dead. Or, tomorrow, yeah, you're going to be with me. I'm dead, even though I'm alive right here. He's, but, you know, it's, it's that medium that's bringing forth Samuel's words and everything. You know, Saul doesn't, he knows it's Samuel. But does that make sense? Is that one question you'd be asking there? You're going to be with me. Does that say he he's a believer here? Because we've been asking that all along. And at one time I was saying, you know, we need to be careful here. I'm making a judgment. Maybe he could be a believer. Um, I don't really, really believe that. Because I don't see a mark of a believer in him outside of the, at the outset he did have the Spirit of God. That, that gives him the ability to what? To rule, to reign, to lead. He does that with believers, but he also would do that then, even to ones who would not be believers, to, to, to rule. That wasn't really the norm, but um, that would probably be the case. Am I the final judge? No. But whenever we see that... What is a mark of one who's not a believer? One thing would definitely be one who is a murderer. Satan is the father of murders. Now, could could a Christian actually murder somebody? It could happen. We know David did it. Is David a believer? Yeah. Did Moses kill somebody? Yeah. Is Moses a believer? Yeah. That shows you how man can actually do things that, even when they're believers, very horrible things. But... I think in all the things that he does, and he does not show an obedient heart, he doesn't show a driving, consuming passion that I see, that that we see of David or believers. You can take it for however you want, but I think here it's saying that he's going to go to the place of the dead. And I'll just leave it at that. God is the judge. I can't ultimately say, but I can inspect fruit and the fruit on Saul looks as horrible, almost as horrible as Judas. And Judas isn't going to be in heaven, I can tell you that. But And, and Judas did things that was in God's plan, but he was held responsible for what he did. He can't blame God. He said, God, you made me do it. We can't ever say that because he never makes us sin. We sin. That is a quandary that our little brain minds cannot figure out. But we believe it. That's the sovereignty of God. It's an incredible thing. Um, wow, overwhelming. Um, conjures up the Spirit. He justifies his actions by telling Samuel he's greatly distressed. Um, of course, God has departed him, but you know the Philistines are waging war. And Saul is saying, I just, I just had to call you, Samuel. You have to tell me what to do. You know, I know it's against the rules. You know, I know that I shouldn't be conjuring you up here like this, but this is an emergency. He's had an emergency for a long time. That's the thing. And, you know... Samuel really is tells him exactly what God says. He speaks for God, doesn't he? And then he tells him what tomorrow is, is going to bring. On the following day, God will give Israel, Saul, and his sons over to the Philistines. Um, they will be killed. 
Uh, and this is really troubling news. And it's certainly not what Saul had hoped to hear at all. But I think he knew it. But somehow, it's just like Satan knows what's going to happen in the end. He's read the back of the book too. But in the meantime, he's going to try to take down as many as he can get. Because that's his nature anyway. Well, um, does that help on the, the idea of conjuring up a real Samuel after he's been dead? Does God do that a lot? Rarely? He just doesn't do that, but he did it here. And the witch certainly knew it. Scared her like she had never been scared before. She had never seen it like this. She cried out with a loud voice. And then she knew right away, yeah, that's Samuel and here's Saul. Because I know the situation here. She knew full well who Saul was all about. Okay, let's take it home. Uh, verse 20. This is Saul's last supper. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also please listen to the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your own way. When you eat, get out of here. (laughs) But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to them. He listened to somebody. It took the servants and the woman you know, begging him to eat something for his own good. Saul doesn't know what's for his own good. He doesn't have the bread of life, and here he doesn't have the physical bread of life. Sounds like a scripture, doesn't it? Man does not live on bread alone. Uh, anyway, They urge him, so he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. He is weak. He's trembling. He's weak from what he's just heard. He's weak from what he has seen this whole day. He is weak. He hasn't ate a thing. He was not hungry. Ever been so terrified or so emotionally drained that you did not want to eat? And that's where he's at. He's not hungry. But the woman knows that he's got to go back. And he's going to have to leave that house and go back eight miles to back to where he came from. He's going to need some strength. The and and women know this. You know they always make. Have you been eating right? Have you have you had nutrition right? You know you didn't look like you've been eating right lately. So anyway. Um, <laughs> What, what did I say something? No, <laughs> Actually, it was. It could be me. I'm, I haven't been eating right. I've been eating plenty, but I'll be sometimes eat the wrong things, or drink a coke now and then, which <laughs> shouldn't be doing that. You. Okay, the woman had a fattened calf in the house. It's better than bread now. A fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it. So he's going to stay there long enough to eat this fattened calf. And she took flour and kneaded it, baked unleavened bread from it. So this took a little while longer, didn't it? As he's just, just, he's got to be wobbly. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. She fed all of them, however many there were. Then they arose and went away that night. Well, there was a last time that uh, he had a meal probably. I don't know. He might have risen the next morning and ate, but I, I would even doubt it. He regains his strength. He returns to camp. And uh, he goes out into the night. You remember Judas? Whatever, he went out into the night. And uh, so this is the darkest day. Actually, tomorrow will be the darkest yet to come. The next day when Samuel's prophecies are fulfilled. And what Saul has been hearing all along anyway, he's going to lose his kingship. 
Forty years earlier, Saul was a promising young ruler, a marvelous physical specimen, taller than anyone, head and shoulders above any fellow Israelite. He started his military career liberating the people of Jabesh Gilead. and He defies, uh, I guess you could say, uh, just totally destroyed the uh, Ammonites. That's who it was in chapter 1 there, I think it was. How did things go wrong for Saul? Well, he ended up trembling on the floor. A forbidden medium. There he was. Totally showing who he was. The answer according to Samuel is quite simple. What's the word? Disobedience. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. <laughs> right? Trust and obey. That's what living the Christian life is. Trusting Christ. Believing Him. We live by faith and not by sight. Just do what He says, right? Not the easiest thing to do, because our flesh rears up. But all we have to do is think about, wow, you know what? If He didn't come in and save me, one of these days I would be in the same condition where Saul was at. Without the Lord and no hope. And it's too late. Boy, that could be a great evangelism sermon, couldn't it? <laughs> for people who are lost. But for those who knowing, we don't fear. We go, thank You, Lord, for Your grace and for bringing me out of a bondage like a man like Saul. God is good, isn't He? God is good. That was rather troubling about the medium and the spirit. Uh, do you, are you guys pretty settled on that though, okay? I mean, it yeah, sounds I mean, really it weird. It was a miracle. Yeah. God is in the miracle business. <laughs> you know, he can do whatever He wants. Do you think the ones that claim they're mediums today can really do that? I wonder what they're calling up when they say they've called up somebody you want them to call up. Your spirit. Sure. 